The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Sportbox. The headlines this hour. The U.S. threatens $11 billion of new tariffs on a list of EU goods in retaliation over European subsidies to French plane maker Airbus. British Prime Minister Theresa May getting set for a late dash to Paris and Berlin in an attempt to secure key backing for yet another extension for Brexit ahead of tomorrow's emergency EU summit. Standard Chartered reportedly prepares to pay more than $1 billion to settle U.S. charges over Iranian sanctions violations. And Israelis voters are heading to the polls in what's become the tightest election race in this country in years, with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu seeking a fifth term. So very good morning. Well, if the markets didn't have enough to worry about, Washington has just ratcheted up the tension. The U.S. is now considering tariffs on about $11 billion worth of EU products ranging from aircraft parts to wine. The move comes as the Trump administration looks to retaliate against EU subsidies for Airbus, which the World Trade Organization ruled had, quote, adverse effects on America. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said he hopes to reach an agreement with the EU, but added, quote, the time has come for action. Neither Airbus nor the European Commission have commented so far on the proposed tariffs. Well, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang will lead a delegation to Brussels for annual trade talks with the EU this week. But key differences are set to hang over discussions. The EU has raised concerns over Chinese barriers to trade and the pace of its reforms. The Beijing uh, uh, leadership says it aims to work with the bloc and has denied allegations. It has tried to divide the region through investments in Eastern European states. The U.S. believes there are still issues to resolve in trade talks with China. Both Beijing and Washington have said progress was made in negotiations last week to end their ongoing trade dispute. But a White House trade official told Reuters there are some areas where they are, quote, not satisfied yet. Discussions are set to continue remotely this week. Sylvia Dallangelo joins us, senior economist at MA's Investment Management. Sylvia, thank you for joining us again today. Thank we you. have seen the markets rally a lot on hopes of trade, that uh, we are not falling off a cliff when it comes to growth, that we potentially can avoid a, a U.S. recession later this year. What do you make of the issues now presented on the table where we still don't have a resolution around trade? The United States is now talking about focusing the lens on Europe instead. Do you think we are in an environment that looks at all friendly for investors or risk on assets? Well, uh, the thing is that trade policy is still a concern and a risk of downside uh, developments for the global economy uh, and I think that's what we understand uh, given the slow developments, the slow progress uh, in US-China negotiations and also this uh, new action by the US administration targeting uh, EU uh, imports. Uh, my baseline is that US and China will reach uh, some kind of trade agreement in the next four weeks uh, as uh, it was announced uh, last week. However, I also think that any trade 
deal is likely to be quite fragile and temporary, uh, and therefore I think that trade tensions will resume uh, going forward. What is the basis for that optimism? And I, I leap in here because we've had Larry Kudlow, the uh, White House economic advisor, day after day after day saying progress is being made, markets should be pleased about the eventual outcome. Yesterday we got the line, the US is not satisfied yet with the way the trade talks are going and what China is offering. To my mind that suggests that both outcomes remain viable at this stage. So what convinces you that there will be a positive agreement? Well, obviously, uh, it's not certain that there will be a trade deal. Uh, my, my cautious optimism is due to the fact that basically both the US and China are under pressure to deliver some kind of uh, deal. Um, China has uh, experienced a quite pronounced slowdown in the second half of last year and that was mainly driven, in my opinion, uh, by trade uncertainty and so it has a very strong interest to reach a trade deal. While in the US, the electoral campaign for the presidential election next year is already on and I think that President Trump really needs some kind of win uh, in order to give a boost to the equity market and uh, to boost also his own ratings. Uh, that said, uh, clearly it's not a done deal. And also, my optimism is very limited in time as I think that any trade deal is likely to be very fragile and temporary. When we've watched this uh, trade fight play out with China, it has uh, shown us an economy that has weakened over time where stimulus measures have been required at home. It's not been easy to resolve some of the key issues, which makes me now think what happens if there is some form of a trade fight with Europe? I mean, two, two uh, sides of the world that are meant to be allies. Uh, so quite different to the situation with China, but yet not the same tools available to Europe to try and stimulate the economy should there be another hit to investor sentiment if there could not be a resolution that is found quickly and there are tariffs in place again on goods between the two countries. What do you make of the 11 billion number that is now being thrown around? Will that be relevant, significant, if there were to be some form of a trade spat between Europe and the United States? Uh, well, of course, 11 billion uh, dollars of EU imports is a fairly limited amount. It's largely symbolic at this stage. Indeed, uh, the list that the US trade representative uh, presented includes wine, uh, cheese, helicopter. So a fairly uh, symbolic move, I'd say, at this stage. Nonetheless, it comes at a very crucial time because uh, the EU uh, trade team is preparing to negotiate with the US on uh, auto tariffs, uh, which is clearly a, a way bigger deal for the European Union. Uh, and we know that last July, uh, the, the European Commission President Juncker uh, basically uh, managed to reach a trade truce with the US on auto tariffs, uh, conditional on trade negotiations. So I think that the next uh, focus should be really the US-EU uh, negotiations on auto tariffs. Yeah, and of course the Chinese turn up later on in the week and there are all sorts of disagreements going on with them. But let me ask you, from a, from a, a, a growth perspective, what damage do you think this may do running into the uh, second quarter, third quarter of the year here? Because it prolongs the uncertainty uh, for companies that are trying to work out how their supply, supply chains need to shift to take advantage of whatever changes happen in a trade agreement. So I think at this stage the main damage to the economy is uh, via the confidence channel really. 
so, um, and, and I think that so far, that has been uh, the main channel through which trade uncertainty has really negatively affected global growth in general, and in particular in the Eurozone and China. Um, so going forward, uh, the situation is already quite fragile. So the slowdown that, that we saw in the second half of last year has actually continued in early 2019. Uh, there are some expectations of stabilization at lower growth rates uh, because of stimulus from Chinese authorities, but also importantly from central banks. Uh, of course, if there's uh, like a resumption of trade tensions, that could really scupper the situation and therefore we might see a continuation of the slowdown uh, and possibly uh, a recession. However, as I said, my base case is that there will be some stabilization because of a temporary trade deal between the US and China. We'll pick up in just a moment. We still haven't talked about Brexit. We've managed to get through, what, 10 minutes of the programme and we still haven't discussed it, but we'll get to it very shortly. Thank you so much for that. Karen. Uh, Jeff, thank you. I want to take you to some of the action we saw stateside as the markets try to shrug off some of the losses as they finished up the trading day. And that was uh, quite a successful task for the S&P and NASDAQ as both traded into the green. However, the Dow did manage to snap a three-day winning streak as it closed out in negative territory, down by about a third of a percent, way down to an extent by Boeing, one of the big stocks uh, impacting the fortunes of the markets yesterday. We saw uh, before the market opened that Boeing was talking about an update around production of the 7 MAX aircraft that it would reduce that production by 20% as it tries to find a software fix to uh, get the jets back in the air after two fatal crashes. A number of the analysts taking a dim view of the stock too. Uh, Bank of America analyst was uh, basically talking about the reputational loss from these events that have transpired that they could erode long-term market share and the pricing power of the 737 MAX. So the stock price yesterday down 4.4% over the course of the week, uh, down by similar tune as well. In terms of what we saw elsewhere, for the support factors for the markets, energy has still been a trade. And on the back of the jobs report Friday, where investors uh, started to see some improvement in the headline number, investors were saying, well, we should be taking a look at the demand side for energy as well. We've been so focused on supply cuts from OPEC and uh, US sanctions on countries that we should actually focus on the fact that there may be enough demand in the system to be supportive of the price. So as a result, we saw a pickup in uh, the price of energy yesterday, 71 on Brent, and we've uh, claimed the 64 handle on WTI. The Asian markets, let's just switch over. There's been a lot of fear around US earnings season and Brexit. Those have been the two big fears in the market away from single stock exposures and what you're seeing in the energy space. And uh, investors just trying to park some of those concerns pushing the trade a little bit high, but as you can see, it's a cautious rally across the Asian markets today. The opening calls here in Europe, uh, as a result, uh, when we continue to focus on Brexit with more talks expected today uh, in Germany and also France, as UK Prime Minister Theresa May tries to seek an extension to the Brexit timeframe. So far, we are chasing five points to the upside on the UK market, but a couple of red arrows right across the rest of the markets for Germany, France and the Italian market. Jeff. So let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. As Karen was uh, pointing out there, Theresa May is heading off to Paris and Berlin. The clock continues to tick ever closer to a no-deal Brexit at the end of this week without an extension. We'll have more on uh, what's expected in those meetings in just a wee while. Plus, if you uh, would like to catch up with Squawk Box on podcast, you can do that by going to cnbc.com, iTunes, Spotify or Google Play and have a listen and download today's episode. And for our podcast listeners, stick around for more.
Welcome back. UK Prime Minister Theresa May will travel to Berlin and Paris later today for talks with German and French leaders in an attempt to secure backing for a second Brexit extension. May will then travel to Brussels tomorrow for an emergency EU summit. Meanwhile, the UK government has begun preparations for next month's European elections. The pound uh, continues to be trapped pretty much in this uh, similar range. In fact, we've barely gone anywhere over the last 24 hours in spite of a vote in Parliament uh, binding the uh, Prime Minister's hands around an extension. Let's get out to Sylvia at Westminster and talk a little bit more about what we might expect here. Sylvia, it doesn't seem as though Theresa May is making very much progress with the opposition Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn at this stage. So on what grounds should European leaders be willing to grant an extension? Exactly, Jeff. There are two things here that we need to keep monitoring very closely. What's happening in London and then, of course, how the 27 European capitals are reacting. But let's look first at those cross-party talks that you just mentioned between Labour and Theresa May. Steam, at this stage, there has not been a breakthrough yet. They have not been successful in reaching an agreement. And, of course, that makes Theresa May's position in asking for a second delay much harder. And yesterday, Jeremy Corbyn told the BBC that the government is not making any concessions. Let's take a listen. The problem is that the government doesn't seem to be moving off the original red lines. I've put the case forward for a customs union with the European Union, for market access and particularly for protection of rights for consumers' environment and those at work. And those have to be dynamic and guaranteed in the future. So far, we haven't had those undertakings. So Theresa May, as you mentioned, is heading to Berlin later today and then to Paris seeking some help from the European counterparts, from her European counterparts. But at this stage, the bottom line is that we cannot exclude any outcome. And so yesterday, Michel Barnier, the youth chief negotiator, was in Ireland meeting the Prime Minister, Leo Varadkar, and he said once again that if there is a no-deal Brexit, the U27 will support Ireland. Let's take a listen. If the UK were to leave the EU without a deal, let me be very, very clear. We, will not, we would not discuss anything with the UK until there is an agreement for Ireland and Northern Ireland, as well as for citizens' rights and the financial settlement. Throughout all of this, the EU27 will remain fully united has that been since day one. So let's see how these two parallel events, the cross-party talks in, uh, in London and the uh, meeting later in, in this week in Brussels will play out. But of course, it's still very early to say whether the European 27 will actually grant another extension to the UK. Thank you very much, Sylvia. Let's come back to our guest for this hour, Sylvia Delangelo, senior economist at Hermes Investment Management. Uh, Sylvia, if I were Theresa May today, it would seem like the welcome in Berlin would be much warmer than the one in Paris. But then I wonder if I'm doing Macron a disservice to the extent that I, I wonder whether he's got any leverage at this point. He's had his own country that's been hit by yellow vest protests. We've seen disruptions on the Euro Channel that's impacted doing business in Paris. I wonder whether Macron can afford to say no to the extension to Brexit because of the impact on the French economy at this point. Well, uh, my take uh, on this stance by Macron is that 
it's mainly posturing. Uh, as you said, uh, France has all sorts of domestic issues, uh, the yellow vest protests, which are still ongoing, uh, strikes, uh, disrupting transportations between uh, the UK and France, even before Brexit. Um, and I think that Macron in this situation really needs again to try to boost his ratings ahead of the European elections in, in May. Um, at the moment, the polls uh, show that Macron's party, uh, La République en Marche uh, and Marie Le Pen's uh, right party are basically head on head. Uh, and therefore, um, Macron needs uh, a win in order really to uh, reignite uh, his government's action. That said, I think that at the, at the end of the day, it's in everybody's interest to get to a deal with the UK and therefore an extension will be granted. So let's just think about the, the conversation from the other side about delivering a win for Macron. Is there any way, if he did decide to push the envelope a little bit further and it's not just posturing, decide to put his foot down and say, no more extension, this is your choice, you've decided to go down this path, that's it, you're out. Wouldn't that send a strong message to voters about being supportive of Europe and showing a very firm Macron in the face of what has been a huge amount of uncertainty for the entire bloc? Uh, well, I think that's unlikely, <laughs> as well as, as we discussed, the Eurozone economy is struggling. It has slowed down quite significantly uh, in the second half of 2018 and also in early 2018. It's not clear whether it's a soft patch or something uh, more pronounced, more adverse. Uh, and therefore, at the end of the day, business is business. Uh, a no-deal Brexit would be mainly a problem for the UK, but it would, it would have like negative spillovers for the Eurozone as well. And therefore, I think that at the end of the day, uh, the European leaders, including Macron, uh, will concede an extension to the UK. Of course, there will be conditions attached to it. Um, this is a wonderful moment for Macron to decide uh, just whether he feels the need for legacy and whether he feels the need for a dramatic uh, sign to the electorate. I mean, there are shades of de Gaulle here in 67 saying to the Brits, sorry, you might want to come into the EU, but you can't. Here he has an opportunity at a 28% popularity rating to show the French electorate that he can be Gaullist and he can stand up to the Brits and tell them, no, you're not having your extension. Um, the question is, what is the character of the man? Does he want that uh, moment in history or is he willing to perhaps uh, look at the greater good for the Eurozone economy? Well, I think there's a bit of a trade-off here. Of course, on the one hand, um, it would be like a, a showing of strength uh, and it would project um, some uh, yeah, strength, possibly boosting his like, low depressed ratings. However, on the other hand, there's like the, the, the health of the Eurozone economy, uh, including France, and therefore a short-term win in terms of uh, popularity and posturing with respect to the UK no. could be costly uh, in the medium terms, in economic uh, terms. And therefore, uh, I think that eventually but some he, extension he, he will he be granted. Capitulate. So um, the UK economy has been remarkably resilient in the face of uh, all the negativity around the impact of the Brexit process. But there is a view, I think, at the moment that if you look at current conditions, we may actually be at stall speed. What's your read on the UK at Hermes and what happens next? 
Uh, well, first of all, the UK has performed quite well, uh, given the circumstances, but nonetheless, Brexit has already had a negative impact on the UK economy. And according to uh, most estimates, including the one uh, by the Bank of England, uh, UK GDP is about 1.5% lower uh, than in a no-Brexit scenario. And let's not forget, Brexit has not even happened yet. Uh, so there has been a negative confidence eff effect. There has been, which has held back business investment, and as a matter of fact, business investment contracted by 2.5% over 2018. Uh, and also there has been a negative income effect as uh, in the aftermath of the referendum, inflation uh, spiked, uh, basically compressing uh, real incomes uh, and waiting on uh, consumption. Uh, temporarily. Right. Uh, going forward, uh, I think the uh, outlook for the UK economy really lies uh, on uh, Brexit developments uh, and some kind of resolution. Uh, Brexit with a decent deal um, would probably uh, lift uncertainty and therefore uh, give a boost to uh, the UK economy, at least in the short term. Uh, of so course, it's only medium term, yeah. though. We, we don't know what the date is going to be, and it seems like there could be an extension to June, there could be an extension for 12 months. Under that situation, what does the Bank of England do? Because the script wasn't really going like that for 2019. We we're meant to you know, have some form of exit in March, and then presumably the Bank of England might have been able to raise rates later this year. Now, with the uncertainty and the extension of timeframes to, to what timeframe we still have no idea of, where does it leave the Bank of England on its time scale and, and what it expects to do this year? Yeah. So, uh, exactly. The, the problem is that at the moment it looks like more uncertainty is the base case for the UK, which will continue to weigh on uh, the economic performance and in particular on business investment, and which will also force the Bank of England to basically stay on hold for the foreseeable future. Uh, I, well, I think uh, a cut would be like a reaction to a no-deal Brexit, so it would be like an extreme measure to an extreme development. But in a scenario of uncertainty, I think the, better, uh, well, the best reaction of the Bank of England is like a wait-and-see approach. Um, the pound has been very stable. Uh, we've had a number of guests over recent weeks suggesting that uh, this um, belies a, a certain amount of uh, complacency. Um, among the investment community. What, what would your read be on where sterling is? is? Is it appropriately priced given the economic fundamentals you're suggesting? I think sterling is actually appropriately uh, priced. So after the referendum, sterling depreciated, depreciated by around 15% on a trade-weighted basis. Surprisingly, it's been one of the better performers against the dollar over the last uh, a year or so. Uh, well, uh, I think that's more of, of a dollar story rather than a sterling uh, story. But uh, I'd say that like in a medium-term perspective, sterling has been quite stable since uh, the depreciation it experienced after the EU referendum. Uh, and I think that's the correct stance by the market, as basically at the moment the FX market is pricing in a small probability of a noted Brexit, which is probably fair. But at the same time, it's also expecting like an impaired access to uh, the single market and maybe looser ties with the European Union uh, compared to before the referendum. Uh, of course, uh, developments going forward will determine the direction sterling uh, will go. Uh, I would say that um, a deal uh, granting uh, strong ties between the UK and the rest of the EU would probably lead to some appreciation, maybe in the region of 135, 140. 
uh, a, a revocation of uh, Brexit uh, probably uh, implies more upside for sterling. Yeah. On the other hand, a no-deal Brexit could really uh, lead to, to a dramatic depreciation of sterling, yeah. uh, maybe 110 versus the dollar or even lower because, as we know, okay. initial reaction in FX markets can tend to overshoot. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.